0: Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, season eight, episode four. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of Project Voice. We've got a great show today. A lot of interesting topics uh, that are, uh, as always, circulating around chat GPT. Uh, we can't get away from that on this show. We've tried. Uh, it failed. Um, but uh, we're excited about it. A uh, couple, of, couple of news art, news items for us. First of all, On Monday, there will be a major announcement uh, jointly between the Open Voice Network and Project Voice 2023 about uh, the ethics uh, charter that they will be rolling out at Project Voice 2023 um, related to LLM-based AI, uh, the Conversational AI Leadership Council, which is about 300 or so people on the buyer side and 100 seller side companies. We'll all be invited to sign that document. It's going to be a news-making kind of thing. That uh, announcement will drop on Monday, um, and we're excited about that. So uh, anyway, a lot going on, and uh, we're going to get right into it. Um, Got a fantastic panel on the show. Andrew, I'm going to start with you. Tell us who you are. Tell us about Dashbot. Hit us with it.
1: Yeah, thanks, Bradley. It's great to be here. So, my name is Andrew Hong. I'm the CEO of Dashbot. So, we're essentially a data platform for conversational data. So, we take in unstructured conversational text from any channel in your business, such as, let's say, agent transcripts from your contact center, chatbot message data, emails, SMS data, so on and so forth. And we use machine learning to seamlessly clean and transform this data for you to, and allow you to actually extract rich insights and analytics on your omni channel and cross channel data. So um, yeah, just going a bit further, a lot of the education we do for enterprises we work with is we pretty much say up to 90% of the data these businesses and enterprises collect is what's called dark data, right? Unstructured conversational text. So essentially what we do is we go in seamlessly ingest that, clean it up for them and use them or allow them to uh, use it as a business asset to do things like drive uh, business critical decisions, uh, improve operational efficiencies, build better bots, so on and so forth. So that's in a nutshell who I am, what we do.
0: Awesome. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Next up is Richard with Sorcero. Richard, say hello.
2: Hi, uh, and thank you, Bradley. Um, uh, So my name is Richard Graves, and and, um, I'm the co-founder of a company called Sorcero. And our focus is medical analytics for life sciences. So just like many other uh, other companies here, we also focus very heavily on unstructured data. uh, And the teams we serve are really the ones that face the whole medical market. Uh, so they speak with doctors and patients and researchers, payers and providers, and, and, and pay a key linchpin here. And we take that data, which absolutely, Andrew, most of it is dark, whether it's a transcript from an advisory board or someone who called in a medical information center. We provide those analytics to analyze trends, meet unmet patient needs, and generate the data uh, for uh, improved patient outcomes. We work very heavily with large language models and take it to some of the hardest places, which is really advanced technical and life sciences content and scientific answers that need to be extraordinarily accurate because it actually impacts patients.
0: Richard, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Next up, we got Sam Danby of Boost AI. Sam, say hello.
3: Hi, Bradley. Thanks very much for having me. Um, So yeah, my name is Sam Danby. I'm head of voice at Boost AI. Um, Boost AI is a technology company founded in Norway. And um, we specialize in conversational AI and contact center optimization. Um, so, what that means is we work with organizations in the financial sector, governmental sector, telco, media, um, to deliver virtual agents, whether that's chat or voice or um, other channels. And they're all, um, you know, customer facing, internal facing. We work with our clients very closely. Uh, we are a, um, word uh, No code, low code. So we, we enable our clients to um, develop and build these bots themselves. But we work through with them throughout the journey with our education team and um, working with them to deliver the best projects they can. We have offices also in the US, the UK and, and all Nordic countries. Um, one of our particular projects that made um, a lot of news was um virtual agent network where governmental bots in um, Finland talk to each other and hand over at the right time. Um, so that's quite an interesting one. Um, thanks very much for having me on the show, of course. Pleasure.
0: Sam, yeah, it's great. Yeah, great to have you. Uh, appreciate you making the time. And of Yellow.ai, Ragu Ravinutala, I, I assume I'm pronouncing that right. Tell, Actually, I, I assume I'm pronouncing it wrong. Uh, you tell me how I'm, I'm supposed to say it. But Ragu, it's great to have you on the show.
4: Hey, thanks a lot, Bradley. Uh, great to be here and uh you pronounced it absolutely right uh, i'm ragu Ravanutala. i'm co-founder and uh, ceo for yellow ai yellow ai is a dynamic conversational ai platform we help about 1500 plus enterprises across the world automate their customer and employee support on chat and on voice and wide variety of uh, modern messaging channels including whatsapp slack microsoft teams uh, our platform has more than 500 plus workflow integrations with some of the leading enterprise softwares including sap salesforce uh, oracle banking and financial software softwares etc we are backed by salesforce ventures sap ventures uh, which is sapphire Uh, Westbridge, Lightspeed uh, Ventures, one of the most well-backed companies in this space with more than $100 million raised. Um, And we have customers across United States, Europe, Latin America, and uh, Asia. So fantastic and uh, great to be here and looking forward to the discussion.
0: It's great to have you. Yeah, so appreciate you making the time and and all four of y'all. Some some heavy hitters, some heavy hitter companies. So we appreciate that. And uh, fortunately, we got some heavy hitter stories, uh, too. So we're going to get right into the news. Story number one, which is a two-parter. So actually, as a preface, like last week, we're going to keep the last story kind of short, so we can have more time to focus on the first couple of stories here, because uh, there's just so much meat on the bones to what's going on with with chat gpt and these llm based uh models that, that we're going to put as much time in there as we can story 1a alphabet shares dive after google ai chatbot bard blubs answer in ad that's from reuters and then story 1b google is scrambling to catch up to bing of all things that's from vox so uh, we're going to start in the same order Uh, That we did the intros in, and then we'll reverse uh, after that, and we'll just sort of rotate as we go along. But Andrew, I'm going to start with you. Um, Yesterday was probably one of the more eventful days. So we were we recorded this show on Thursday. Uh, Everybody knows that. Um, Yesterday was Wednesday, uh, February the eighth, and uh, that was when Google had a pretty fateful product demo, uh, which is the subject of these first couple of stories. Andrew um everybody's lining up to rip google for uh uh messing up i was about to say something else messing up a uh uh, another public um presentation um i want to get your thoughts on these two stories what jumps out at you and your takeaways uh just from yesterday from an industry point of view
1: yeah for sure i just want to preface this bradley um i'm recovering from covid so if my voice, voice sounds raspy Hopefully your audience likes that soothing tone is uh, my hope here. But yeah, You're this good. is a yeah, this is a meaty one, right? And uh, I have a lot to say. So I want to start out by saying um, this is like a classic example of what's called hallucination, right? And ChatGPT also succumbs to this. So I read somewhere that ChatGPT's hallucin- uh, hallucination rate is something like 15%. So this is not something new. And ChatGPT also succumbs to this. Um, I-, I think this is definitely a media embarrassment for sure. Um, Google's whole narrative against um, ChatGPT is that they wanna be responsible in their approach of releasing these features, which I think makes sense. Um, Should the Google team have fact-checked the demo before releasing it? Yes. Um, Is it a big deal? No, not in my opinion. I wanna show some information I pulled up this morning from a Fortune article um, that is of a less high-profile blunder from the Bing side on the exact same issue. So it says uh, the new AI version of Bing, which Microsoft demoed to reporters after the keynote presentation had a few mishaps When asked about the death toll from the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, Bing cited data from February 8th, even though it was only February 7th. And Bing's chatbot also stumbled through an attempt to identify authors and articles, saying it wasn't clear from the website, even when it was. So very similar issues, but it was behind closed doors after the keynote. So I just kind of wanted to preface that. Um, I think at the moment we're kind of getting caught up in, I guess, what I call a media frenzy, right? I don't want people to um, forget the fact that Google owns like 90% of the search engine market share and Bing has like single digits, right? So for all these articles to come out and say by Bing incorporating ChatGPT or more powerful version of ChatGPT and it has a chance to overcome Google's search engine market share, I think is a bit naive. Um, let's also not forget there are open AI competitors emerging left and right, right? And Google has invested $300 million in a company called Anthropic. That was released last week, right? They're creating something called Cloud, which um, it was started by former OpenAI team members, right? And apparently the performance is on par. We'll we'll like to see about that. But also, um, I don't know if you all remember, Google released something called Google Mina back in 2020. It was very much an extremely high-fidelity conversational chatbot. They never publicly released this, but that was a predecessor to the Lambda model, which let's not forget last year, Google employees said was sentient. So I think people are drastically underestimating Google's capabilities here. I do think the momentum Microsoft has demonstrated in the past few weeks has put Google on its heels, but I think due to this media frenzy, I think everyone is underestimating what Google has been doing the past several years in this space.
0: So no, that's uh, that was a very thorough uh, answer. It was all. It was also a very diplomatic answer. And Richard, I'm going to go to you, and we're going to get everybody on the record with with uh, both of these stories. Um, and you're up next. So you know, yesterday was a very eventful day. You just heard Andrew uh, provide a, a whole lot of context behind uh, his point of view on it. Share with us yours.
2: So um, first of all, Andrew, I-, I think you made some very good points. Uh, second, this topic is very near and dear to my heart. The whole focus of Sorcero is we provide incredible accuracy on these LLMs on scientific questions that matter. And, you know, it's one thing to flub a question about astronomy. And by the way, Andrew's completely right. Uh, actually, ChatGPT flubbed astronomy questions at scale when it was asked. But it's even more critical in medical. And as we know in medical and healthcare AI is the fastest growing sector here and likely probably the most valuable. Um, We work very extensively with Google and we have over 17 AI models uh, that originate with Google. And through, we have a patented uh, domain model academy where we take these LLMs and we deliver next generation of accuracy on them uh, in the medical space. Um, So scientific questions about, you know, when, about, you know, what year was in astronomy is different than what is the best treatment to treat, you know, HER2-positive breast cancer with a patient with certain conditions. There's a different level of responsibility and safety. I think Google has been more responsible, frankly, and I think part of the reason Microsoft has got ahead is because OpenAI has gone hard. And it being a separate company, they've been able to release stuff that hasn't yet impacted Microsoft at, at scale, despite their investments in the space. And I very much admire the OpenAI team, and we use their GPT models. Um, but what I would say is we realize that what is needed now is tooling that takes these LLMs and brings them to a level of precision. So when we were at the Google Next leaders circle earlier uh, last year, Sundar Pichai came out and said, we need... Our number one research priority at Google and with Google Cloud, which is what we've been working on, is to make LLMs not toys, but tools for industry. So we published last year the results of us taking Google AI models uh, and deploying it at scale. We published this with Moderna on all of the COVID literature, and we were able to take uh, Google models above 95% accuracy, back to 96.1%. Uh, in this space, which was a breakthrough. Because doing it just with the way LMS now, we're seeing 10X growth in parameters to get an additional performance of a couple percentage points. To get over 95% accuracy with a GPT-4 or you know GPT-7, uh, they could be billion dollar models or more uh, to try to get anywhere close to that level of accuracy today because that that rate, Andrew, as you said, is still very high. So we we work with our customers. A lot of our customers have banned the use of ChatGPT internally. It's some of the largest life science companies in the world. And they're moving to instead containerized pipelines running on our tenants where it could be contained and we can validate every piece of data. So we validate every citation against a 2 billion citation archive that we've built because chat GPT and the GPT models sometimes hallucinate an entire bibliography. At the other time, it could be incredibly powerful and making literature accessible for plain language summaries. So there's great strengths and great weaknesses, but I think Andrew's right. I think Google in partnership with some of the technology that we've actually been developing um, and delivering into the scientific markets can be incredibly precise. Uh, and that's, what's really needed to win in these markets.
0: <clears throat> no, that's great. I uh, appreciate, uh, appreciate that commentary. And Sam, I'm going to go to you. So um, Andrew and Richard have provided uh Different, different shades of of kind of the you know a similar sort of thought process, which is, you know, um, all in all, we're we're moving in a very positive direction uh, with this, and um, and yesterday wasn't wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I want to get your thoughts on how you perceived what happened yesterday, and what if anything stood out from these particular articles um, talking about it as well.
3: Yeah, um, I mean a lot of what I'm going to say is probably just going to echo the same as Andrew and Richard. But um, I mean, we've all demoed live and we've all gone wrong, right? Of course, but maybe not with that much financial cost to doing that. But I personally, of course, the combination of what happened and the combined releases or announcements this week from Microsoft and and what they are doing, of course, combined were probably a blow for 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 the valuation. But it. it kind of I, I don't believe that the market share was dropped because of this uh this um demonstration. but of course together with the announcement and this be, of course investors probably got a little bit scared but um as I said kind of, Google is the um you know they own this space uh, and this is their their beast um, search. Um, but it also shows of course that the limitations has been discussed to these large language models and the importance of using them with care. Um, the, they are obese and you've got to tame them. And of course there are gonna be restrictions. And of course, making sure that the information you're using, you have the right sources and the information is being taken from a credible source because they have a huge responsibility for um, delivering these kind of um, responses, especially as Richard said in medical. I mean, who hasn't used the Google doc- doctor when you're searching to find your symptoms? Um, but I think, you know, Google's not going to sit back and, and, and let this happen. I think the cautious approach is one that they've announced they are going to take. Um, so it's a combination of, they're going to be announcing features shortly, but they can't give a date, but when they do rush things, they don't come out correctly. So it's going to do, do we accept that they're rushing them out to show in demos and get them wrong without the QA that's needed? Or do we accept that it's going to take a little bit of time to get these models out? Um, but I think Google's going to come, you know, this is Google's space. I think that, um, um, of course, Microsoft has shown something a little bit more polished. Um, it's going to take people time to, to to move over if that's something people have been d- discussing in some of the articles. But um, I think um, talking about search in general, um, it hasn't changed very much in the last uh, 10 to 20 years. So it's going to be exciting to see what they come with. Um and I'm pretty sure that they're going to come with something that's a little bit more ready um, with better quality assurance.
0: Well, you're touching on something that before I, I ask Rodrigo the same question, um, you know, it's interesting the habits that we form. And uh, you know, I open the browser, Google Chrome, and the immediate first thing I do is type in www.google.com. I don't ever, you know, the, the Google taskbar is there. I just type in google.com. And that's like muscle memory mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and uh, Microsoft is fighting that as much as anything else. and uh, we'll we'll come back to that. Your points mm-hmm. are, are well taken. Uh, but Raghu, you have heard uh, three, uh, you know, forgiving um takes on this subject. Um, I want to hear if you agree and uh, just how the events of yesterday and these articles struck you. And you're on mute.
4: Yeah, thank you Bradley and and absolutely great points from Andrew, Richard and uh, Samuel. Um, I have a little bit of a different take on uh, the gravity of the events happened over the last one week. Um, I think the biggest biggest, uh, impact of the events that happened over the last one week is that I think people's belief that Google had monopoly over how internet information is accessed from internet is being challenged. Second, there is a different way to access and uh, process the information uh, on internet than search. It's potentially a, a chat and, and something like a chat GPD. Uh, third, running a business for the last several years, um, I can think of uh, the number one challenge for any technology to take off is adoption more than the core technology, right? And all the three happened over the last uh, several weeks. There has been a challenge on the existing uh, way of accessing information. There's been a challenge on Google's monopoly in controlling that. And there's been an adoption of a new interface even with the habit forming that they have been able to reach to hundred million plus users within weeks, and all this is going to uh, create panic, um, uh, uh, panic around Google, and op- the 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 deadly combination of OpenAI and Microsoft is bringing in the agility of some of the most powerful technology startup um, leaders with the financial muzzle power of Microsoft and both of them look ominous and it doesn't need for this combination to take over the entire market share. The question is going to be, even if they're going to get 0.5% uh, market share or 1% market share more than they have, they're probably at, at 3%. This goes to 3.5%, 4%. The question is going to be like, oh, if they can get to 4%, what stops them from getting to 5%? And then, what stops them from getting to six percent? It is a momentum game, and uh, and 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 narrative around all this is uh, going to be pretty challenging for the incumbent um, players. So, I wouldn't write them off. I believe that we are in a in a moment of time where there is being a fundamental shift in how information uh, is is going to be accessed and how information is going to be created uh, for the first time in the world. Um, computer is creating um, uh, content at uh, an unbelievable levels of uh, accuracy. So, um, I'm excited about this moment. And we believe that uh, I believe that it's absolutely a really, really big deal uh, in the overall next coming years on who's going to really dominate this space.
0: No, that's great. So let me, um, I appreciate you taking the time to go through that. And look, the comments are are really well thought out on this, but I'm going to play devil's advocate, okay? So yesterday we had, and I was caught up doing a bunch of stuff. I actually didn't see it when it happened. But um, so on its face, we've got a major tech company that um, had a bad presentation and lost a hundred billion (laughs) dollars. I thought it was a hundred million and that was corrected. No, it's with a B it's billion um, equivalent to I think 9%, 10%, something like that of their their enterprise value. Now, normal people would be fired for such a thing. And uh, on top of that, you know what I, where my mind immediately went to was the Google duplex presentation. Andrew, you, you did a great job sort of uh providing a lot of the context of 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 Google's, you know, what brought Google to that point. But I I, I go back to that Google Duplex presentation. And I kind of I believed at the time and I think it's played out that it's almost like they're a little snake bit with these executive presentations. And not only did you know the presentation yesterday, but I also don't didn't particularly care for um The company not making Music LM immediately accessible to people um, and kind of keeping that behind a wall. But so uh, devil's advocate point of view is, uh, you know, um, this is a pretty substantial error caused by rushing to do something, which is caused by what rushing is always caused by lack of preparation um, and failure to adequately prepare before the arrival of something. Uh, I'll open the floor to any of y'all who want to address that. Tell, tell me I'm wrong. Tell, tell me, uh, tell me this is, um, you know, for, forgivable, and and in fact, you know, I'm I've got it all wrong. Uh,
2: <clears throat> what I would say is the first thing to understand is LLMs are a different technology. This is not something as simple as software where you have a demo and you've prepped everything ahead of time and it just happens. The thing about LLMs and these large models is they're learning which means you can test, you can validate a response, but you could do a prompt and you can get a different answer. And so one of the things that can happen is uh, you may have tested it 10 times ahead of time and you got the same answer and something in the model can be shifted or adapted as it was being done live. And you can end up with a different answer from that same prompt. the, The way these models work is incredibly complicated on the inside, which means for anyone that's depending on it, that pipeline of taking that answer and then running it through another pipeline of validation or checking on it or having you know levels of this for any application is super key so i think the other the other you know uh, company folks here a lot of what our business is is not using a raw language model it's it's building the tooling around it to make it much more valuable much more effective and actually working for enterprise needs and that is i think the, the little secret here, which is these things are kind of living in the way that they evolve and you need to have tooling around that. And you need partners who know how to make it, you get the benefit of this AI, but not also face the downsides and challenges when facing customers. I don't know if I, you'd agree with that.
0: Well, if, if uh, whoever came up with the term hallucination for an error for this was a genius, Um, I I can't wait till my 11 year old son comes home and says, oh yeah, I put two plus two equals five, but that was just a hallucination. Sorry. Um, let, let me ask all four of y'all and I'm going to start in reverse order for the next story. So I'm going to stay in the same order for this. Andrew, I'm going to start with you and go back in the same order. Just, I want to get everybody on record, uh, with something that, that also crossed my mind yesterday with these stories and just in, in general with all this. Is there any way, give me a give me a brief answer, all four of y'all on this, a uh, couple of sentences. Is there any way that open AI, BARD, LLM-based AI is a fad or a gimmick at this point and not something with permanent and long-lasting utility? Andrew, I'll start with you.
1: Um, You can go in reverse order, Bradley. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um. I think there's a possibility for sure, right? Depending on the use cases, especially what Richard said in his field, I think you have to take, I think the technology of LLMs could become a fad if it stays in the realm of like academia, conceptual nature. It has to be applied in business use cases, right? Unless that's done. And like, for example, Microsoft has started to do this, right? By incorporating it into a search engine. I think that way you can start to commercialize it if that doesn't happen at scale, it could become a fad. So, um, it's possible, right? It's possible this could become the next Clippy, right? That was also a fad. We'll see.
0: No, yeah, no, that's uh, don't slander Clippy like that. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's. Uh, I agree with you entirely. Uh, I want to get everybody on record. Richard, same question to you. Any way that all this stuff we're talking about is just a fad?
2: Uh look, there's always a hype cycle. I would say elements of this might not survive. What I'd say is particularly, honestly, some of the chat functions. They're very exciting, but I don't think generative AI goes back in the box. And the reason for that is we are seeing markets where everything has been done manually before. To give an example, tens of thousands of papers are having to be generated to meet European compliance requirements. You can't do it without AI these days. That stuff is out of the box. As soon as the business workflows are validated, which is what we're doing now, it's 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 gonna just last. However, does this work for users? Does this work for consumer? And don't forget in 2012, we had a big search thing that happened with knowledge graphs. All search changed. You can now actually get answers. And then everyone bought a knowledge graph, they folded into their search engine, and now people don't even realize that that was a new thing to search. It could get baked in in a way that's like kind of in the background on some of the consumer side. But um, I, I think that we're not going back to people manually writing business critical information in many fields without generative AI um, as uh, anymore. It's too much of a productivity boost and too many savings.
0: Perfect. Sam, same question to you. Any way all this stuff is a fab?
3: I kind of summarize what's already been said for myself. I think no. I think the areas that stay are the ones that um, the the, the tools or uses of um, these models are the ones that, as I said, provide value, monetary value, to be able to pay for the work and to keep these – for example, it's very expensive to use these in some cases. Um, so I think um, it's here to stay, but I think it needs to provide value to those using it. So I think there will be some things, um, some uses or some use cases will will die off probably quite soon.
0: Perfect. And Ragu, same question to you. Any way all this stuff is just a fad? Not at all.
4: Um, there might be some stuff which is fad, but we're already seeing significant... Uh, value from uh, generative AI. To give an example, our sales team right now uh, prospects, writes prospecting emails using uh, uh, generative AI, right? And using chat GPT, I mean, you know, that's going to never go back. I mean, it's getting significant value out of it. Uh, our product uses uh, LLMs and that has provided a phenomenal boost to what customers are seeing uh, in terms of the value that it can generate so the core technologies are absolutely game changers they are not at all fat. the front-end interface and potentially the the companies that are doing can change because you know it could be chat gpd but there could be some other company that's doing uh, a completely different application some of these applications can be fads, but the core technology is absolutely solid
0: Perfect. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I I uh I think back to um when the iPod came out um and uh, actually it was more so um a better example is when the iPhone came out. So you had like um BlackBerry saying, "Oh, look at this toy. This is this is here today, gone tomorrow. This isn't real. Everybody just everybody wants to type with our little clicky, clicky keys, uh, this th- this isn't a real business phone. This is going to be gone. Well, now, you know the book's been written on that. I, it uh, everybody loves to claim something will be a fad when they're when they're scared of it, rightly so. But yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. This is I, I was mentioning an article last week on the show about um, the the headline was uh, real estate agents can't possibly imagine going back. To life without chat gpt like that's literally what it said i'm not exaggerating at all that was the headline and it was on cnn or something and uh i think it's that says it all where the it's we've crossed some sort of inflection point with all this stuff uh both in utility and public imagination uh and uh, as victor hugo says there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come um that kind of feels like that's where we're at so we're going to move on to story number two hey, um, Bradley. Yeah,
1: I just wanted to bring up. I think what's a really important point to just steal, man. The the last point before we move on, Um, you kind of mentioned like uh, Google getting a hundred billion wiped off its market cap, right? And I think it relates to what Raghu said. I think the main reason that happened is people saw a potential for Google's incumbency to get challenged, right? And I think what's very commendable and inspiring about Microsoft is you're seeing a Fortune 100 company, like top 100 in the world. Acting like a startup, right? Releasing new features extremely quickly against competition, against the entrenched incumbent like Google, and building a lot of momentum. I think this is what they should be doing, especially if they're trying to swing for the fences and go from single-digit um, market share in the search engine space and try to challenge Google. I think that's being overlooked a little bit. Is you you don't see this often where a company the size of Microsoft. Is moving and behaving like a startup, so I, I kind of wanted to commend them in that aspect, right? Because I think that's getting overlooked a little
0: bit. Well, I, I yeah, no, I agree, and I think that uh, with with the story of all these layoffs has been um, trying to rekindle startup mode. You know, it's like Elon Musk was overt about you know his ambitions in that regard, but you know, you got to believe that's on the mind of all these companies laying people off is let's get leaner and meaner and faster. And um, everything you say that is, is echoing that. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so we're going to go in reverse order. And we're going to start with Raghu and then Sam and then Richard and then Andrew on this next story. This is from voicebot.ai. 30% of customers abandon a brand after a bad chatbot experience. So this is a survey that was done between Forrester and uh, Ciara. Um, really interesting uh, stuff. Uh, that they've covered. And uh, Raghu, I'm going to start with you. Um, What stood out? You know, uh, it seems like sort of an intuitive conclusion here, uh, but I want to just hear your thoughts and and your take on this piece.
4: Um, I think um, uh, this has been the core of uh, us building our brand and building our company is uh, brands essentially deal with either moments of Uh, trust or moments of uh, failure, right? And um, we have consistently seen that uh, companies that have provided us, I mean, I'm not surprised by that article at all, uh, is we have seen both our prospects and our customers talk about their conviction around voice assistance and chat assistance, being widely different based on the experiences that they personally have um, uh, seen in their interactions. So, uh, and and it kind of, uh, I'm lining up with the entire LLM and uh, LLM models. And uh, what Richard was earlier saying is that the whole point of um, companies providing conversational AI, virtual assistants is take the power of LLMs and make sure there is enough control, configurability, uh, tooling to make sure that the brands are actually providing moments of trust rather than moments of uh, failure where you have really high fidelity interactions, even if that involves work around Making these more configurable and um, and more controlled uh, in the way that they are deployed. That's my take on this, uh, Bradley.
0: No, that's great, um, and uh, you know it's it's uh, convenient to start with you for the story, and you know just because you know it's it's an interesting one. I, I um, and it's an interesting study that Ciara put together. And Sam, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to ask you the exact same question. Um, what stood out to you from this piece?
3: Yeah, I'm equally um, unsurprised. Um, I mean, in the chatbot space, there's you know, reportedly over 3,000 vendors. And it's a very busy market for people trying to buy these services. Um, and of course, in today's world, we're very demanding as a customer. And we expect high-level experience when interacting with um, organizations. So, um, you know, of course, a bad experience moves people away from a brand. So it's important for companies to select the right vendors for this, um, to be able to deploy successfully. Um, and now, you know, focus has moved heavily away from what you could say a chatbot. And now people say virtual agents, digital assistants, and kind of moving away from the word chatbot a little bit because they try to you know, use that term as something that does provide only a bad experience. But it, it takes, you know, curated and careful design to build good interactions with these bots and systems. And companies need to provide a multi-layer service of um, being able to assist users when they ask questions and require assistance. And, of course, then hand over to a human in potential cases where it is starting to be a bad experience. And you can see in cases where, especially for voice, you know, over 60 percent of bot design is conversation recovery. So when things start to go bad, instead of giving them the poor experience where they're going to leave, we recover the conversation, we continue the conversation, or hand them over to the right uh, fallback mechanisms. And trust is an important word that's been mentioned in the article. Um, and I think what we found is trust, ultimately, if you go through research and studies of interactions with these bots and chat bots, voice bots, people gain trust with a brand or an organization when you deliver the right answer to a request right? So stickiness of a customer is giving them the answer that they require. They don't want it and in, in, in kind of customer effort to get that answer. So you don't hear people complaining about how maybe a voice box sounds or the conversation design. If you haven't given them the right answer, once you start giving people the right answer, then they start complaining and, compl- and noticing really fine details. So trust is built by giving the right answer. And if you're not, then of course, people are going to start trying to find places that do. Um, and I know they mentioned at the end a little bit about the LLM again. And, and in this space, people are starting to, or in some cases, they're just an open an API to open AI, potentially just building on top. But um, of course, there are companies that find ourselves in this 3,000 vendor space that are trying to do and, and improve and add features and use technology like the LLM in a, in a responsible manner. And I think it has some really good uses for both understanding users' requests, I don't think chat, direct chat is is potentially the the best use case, but being able to provide an enhanced customer experience, a smoother, streamlined, lesser customer effort to get the answer than maybe they're getting today. And then also that expands to potentially, you know, we're talking about contact centers here in many cases where people normally uh, interact with, is, you know, assisting agents as well. So once they do actually go over to a human because we're not, trying to remove humans in these projects. I assume it's potentially some of these bad ones are where people don't get the chance to speak to a human. It's on repeat, but once they speak to a human, then they are also assisted to be able to handle customer requests the best they can. Um, so it's easier for them as well.
0: Yeah. Your point's well taken. It's, you know, it, if the house is collapsing, you know, the house is on fire. Uh, no one's going to be saying, oh, I wish the front door was painted a different color. You know, I mean, it's uh, the, the first to put the first thing first, make it work. You know, and uh, we've seen that over and over again, whether uh, Alexa or Google Assistant all the way to you know, chatbot, regardless of modality, voice, chat, text, it really doesn't matter. Um, it's magical when this stuff works. Richard, I'm going to go to you. Um, interesting piece here from VoiceBot. What stood out to you?
2: Uh, The thing that stood out to me was not the 30% number on a different brand. It was the 73% of users after this cancel ongoing purchase plans. That is like the red alert that I feel like anyone using this really would have heard. So in in my last company, uh, we actually did uh, B2C and we had uh, six call centers. And I used to joke that I was tier seven customer support. Um, If it managed to make it out of the call center and all the tiering and it made it past our operations, made it past the director to this, it made it it all the way VP Ops. It was a weird, gnarly question. It landed on my desk before heading to the CEO. And, um, you know, it was always interesting, right? By the time it gets to you, it's got to be interesting. But my biggest thing is I took all my team and we rotated at least a little bit on the phones to get a real feel of the customer and really get a feel of it. Even, no doesn't matter how high an executive they were, we all did a stint, right? And we learned a lot. And what I would say is, I think most people do this differently. They focus on chatbots, they focus on call diversion. And the fact is, I actually think that that is a strategic mistake. Um, at Sorcero, we believe in augmenting people. And that we believe that humans plus AI are better than humans or AI alone. And in fact, I think trying to put LLMs to the chatbot directly in the front of your most valuable customer experience is often a mistake. Uh, And so what we often focus on, so our current customers, we literally have medical information centers where doctors are staffing call center lines. Trust me, you have to pay a doctor more than they practice to work at a call center to answer questions from other doctors. You know what I mean? That's not how they always thought they were going to be doing. Um, Incredibly valuable, but that relationship between a doctor calling A leading pharmaceutical company about a breast cancer treatment, it's going to be urgent. It's going to be important. It's going to be potentially life-saving, right? Those conversations are really critical. The answer is not getting a chat in between. It's instead giving the tools for the person talking to the customer on the back end to instantly get personalized answers that are extremely accurate. That is the game changer we found. We do personalization of that content to actually get those answers because what happens is instead of trying to divert calls, reduce the hold time, reduce the time in limited scripting, reduce the time for someone to get the answer that resolves and gives them a bit of a instead, delight them. And so I find that actually doing the internal tooling so that the voice in, you know, can actually take data, feed that to the back end, get the personalized content to the person speaking with your person, transformative on experience. And you can build a real relationship where they feel like there's a real person and that person has tremendous data, but it's informed by the voice data. And then the LLMs is generating what they need to answer them.
0: Well, you're touching on something that I just find fascinating, which is um, ultimately when the book is written on customer experience approaches powered by technology, how they're going to differ across verticals, you know, those little nuanced differences um, on how a banking conversation uh, needs to be staffed and and empowered and enabled by technology and and empowered and enabled by humans versus how a um, hotel conversation needs to be empowered and enabled by you know both humans and technology. It's, we're starting to figure some of those things out, but you're touching on a lot of it. It's just a personal interest of mine. I appreciate you sharing that. And Andrew, I'm going to you uh, with the last word on this. Tell us uh, your thoughts on this particular story.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I think everyone brought up great points. Um, just to give a different spin to this, I'm not surprised by the stat either. Um, I think something we need to acknowledge is that you know, a part of this is that once the pandemic hit, the expectations of our customers want to interact with brands has forever changed, right? They want to be more self-serve. They want 24-7 support. So that's another factor that has led to this. Um, Maybe d- taking a different twist is maybe why are these bad chat experiences occurring? And so in our world, what we're seeing is one of the top three, if not maybe the top one reason for this is a lot of enterprises actually need to adopt automation to some degree for many factors, right? The approach they take is like this assumption of base approach or like predicting what a user will say and then associatively like what the bot will respond to. So they create this like artificial, like happy path, but almost every single case, it completely diverges. Right. And like, that's not how we as humans talk. We don't predict what someone's going to say and respond to it. We kind of adapt and learn from prior experiences. Right. And so, like that's why a dashboard we take in like historical conversational data and help inform that. But that's kind of the number one experience uh, I see, or the number one factor I see. Like um, these enterprises take is they try to predict what's going to happen, and it almost always fails. And like you as a customer, if you try to interact with a brand's bot, and it, it just goes completely off the rails, that's extremely frustrating, especially with these higher expectations once the pandemic hit. So, I agree with what everyone said. I um, just wanted to give a different take on it.
0: No, that's great, and I think that ChatGPT and all these uh, this stuff in the this nonstop twenty four seven media barrage about uh, you know LLM AI and LLM news and all this stuff you know uh, it just raises the bar even higher. It it actually takes the bar and it moves it up multiple rungs. It says now you know the public's basically saying here go clear this, um, and uh, I think the um, the loss in valuation on Google speaks to that, uh, that the bar is incredibly high for performance. Um, and I think that there's uh, other evidence of that. I think this article is another great piece of evidence of that. It's uh, customers expect this stuff to work. I think we've seen that with Alexa. We've seen there's tons of stories over the eight seasons of this show have touched on this in one way or another. But uh, people are ready for this stuff to work. And fortunately, they got folks like you delivering it, You know, all four of you. Um, we're going to close. Uh, with uh, story number three, and uh, it's going to be very brief. Uh, I went out and found the Kansas City, a Kansas City publication to talk about this. This is uh, the local Fox affiliate uh, for uh, Kansas City. Chiefs fans won't like Amazon Alexis Super Bowl prediction, um, and it uh, it actually just basically regurgitates uh, what looks like an Amazon press release. Uh, you know, informing the world that uh, you know Alexa thinks the uh, the Eagles are going to win. I just want to close the show. Uh, we're uh, we got Super Bowl Sunday on Sunday with all four of y'all telling me uh, who you think is going to win. We're Andrew. I'm going to start with you, uh, Richard Stam, and then i will close with you, Andrew. Who's going to win?
1: I think the Chiefs. I'm still recovering from the Niners losing and not making it, but I will say I was never a fan of the Alexa platform. And this is just a nail in the coffin for me. So <laughs> I'm done with Alexa. <laughs>
0: hey, I, I, I understood. Uh, if it said something about my Titans, I'd probably, uh, you know, the neighborhood would find some Echo devices in the trash. Uh, but I uh, haven't crossed that bridge yet. Richard, same question to you. Who's going to win the Super Bowl?
2: Uh, well, my whole commercial team is mostly in Philly. They're all in an Eagles. But I got to say all of the Chiefs fans – I think they're hoping that this is a hallucination.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Thank you. Um, Sam, same question to you. Who's going to win the Super Bowl?
3: Yeah, even though I'm from the UK, I do like my uh, football. I've been a Packers fan for a while, but um, so this year I've not watched much. Um, I'm going to go for the Chiefs. Um, I think um, with all the news that's been announced this week, with um, a lot of the LLMs and some of the search discussions and – alexa's predicting super bowl results so i think uh, it highlights kind of where voice is going uh in the future um but yeah
0: there was an article actually i, I was going to include with this about how siri google assistant and alexa all i think predict the eagles to win but mm-hmm. that article was uh, behind a paywall so i oh. said uh, no thanks to that but ragu i'm going to close with you who's going to win the super bowl
4: yeah i think it's going to be the uh eagles uh they're not expected but you know it's uh are getting some contradictory uh uh prediction from the ai model so i think that would add to the hype and it'll be fun to see
0: nice nice gentlemen i appreciate y'all setting the time aside and uh, i i i do think the eagles uh will pull it out the uh You'll be hearing a lot on Sunday about how the Eagles swindled my Tennessee Titans. And I mean it was highway robbery with getting AJ Brown, uh one of the top five receivers in the whole game, uh, off of my Titans onto the Eagles roster, uh, where he has dominated all season and probably will help them win on Sunday. So that's very upsetting. Uh, but as I talk to ChatGPT GPT and, and Alexa and any other AI that'll listen, I find that uh you know they really uh, they don't care too much. So uh, anyway, I appreciate y'all. Uh, great conversation, Andrew, Raghu, Richard, Sam. Thanks for making the time, sharing your experience with not just me but the audience as well. Awesome, Thank you, thanks everyone. Awesome. Thanks, great Bradley.
2: great experience, Bradley, and uh, great to be on a great panel of leaders in the field.
0: Appreciate y'all. So for season eight, episode four of This Week in Voice, if you are listening on your podcast provider of choice, we appreciate you. If you're watching us on YouTube, we appreciate you. Until next time.